Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. Now, on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Sarah Gardiel. Sarah and I are going to be discussing many things, including her experiences as the first woman dean in the University of Iowa, Tippie College of Business, and her exciting next chapter. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Sarah, and then let her also tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. Sarah Gardiel joined the UI community in 2012 and has served on and led many University of Iowa initiatives. She is an outspoken supporter for women in leadership and champion for interdisciplinary collaboration, such as business and healthcare. She serves on multiple boards and has extensive engagement in the community. Sarah recently announced that she will be leaving the Tippie College of Business in 2020. Sarah will be returning south to be Dean of the Massey College of Business at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, beginning March 1st. And I'll also let Sarah tell you more about that. Well, Sarah is a Southern girl who never lived north of the Mason-Dixon line until moving to Iowa City. Therefore, her speech contains an occasional y'all. We may hear that today. Cornbread is her signature dish. And let me tell you, I've tried it and it's amazing. And she still thinks that snow is a novelty. She rides motorcycles. Yes, she has her own. And she has grown daughters in Nashville and Atlanta. Sarah, thank you for being with me today. Melissa, I'm delighted to be with you here today. And I thank you so much for asking me to be a part of your podcast. Thanks. Well, before we get into your career experiences, why don't you tell me a little bit more about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and kind of what drives you, your purpose in life. There's actually a pretty strong linkage between how I grew up and where I've ended up, Melissa. My parents were both educators in different ways. My mom was a K-12 teacher. The largest time that I was growing up, she was in elementary schools, sometimes in junior highs and high schools. And uh, my father also was started out being a teacher, but ended up being the superintendent of schools in our hometown and eventually the founding president of the community college when they put community college systems throughout the state of Arkansas, which is where I was raised. And so partly that should tell you that I have educator wired into my DNA, I'm sure, on both sides. And I probably didn't even think about it much or realize it, but being in the path that I'm on right now, it just seems completely logical given the way I was raised. That tells you, I think, a little bit about maybe my skills and, and what I'm wired to do. But the more interesting part of my educate or growing up that I want to mention is that my parents were both the only members of their family to go to college. And, the, you know, this was back in the, the 40s. And most of the rest of their families had never even graduated from high school, but those that did, did not go to college. And so I grew up in an extended family where I saw growing up on a regular basis, the differences in the lives of people who had had the chance to have a strong education and especially higher education and, and those that didn't. 
I just had to even look around at, at my first cousins and it didn't even uh, impact just my aunts and uncles. It was their children in the past that it set them on. And so I've grown up really acknowledging and understanding that more education leads to more choices in life. And I have a passion for that. I think that education improves lives. It improves families. It improves communities and eventually it, it improves the world. I, I truly believe that. And so my growing up experience also solidified this idea that really there's nothing more important than I can be doing with my life every day, but getting up and, and really moving forward to education in this country. Wow, that's really powerful, Sarah. And I think you're sharing about what you saw firsthand with your parents being first generation college students and then how that impacted among your community and your siblings and your, I mean, your siblings and your cousins, just really, really important. You know, I, as you look at your journey, why don't you tell me a little bit more about where, how, and where you got to where you are today? I'm sure that there were important influencers along the way, both personal and professional. So can you talk a little bit about some of those family members, mentors, or teachers? And I also know that in your career, you've had a passion for understanding customer value. So tell me a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, certainly growing up in a family of educators, it was just as part of our everyday life. And especially when my father moved into an administrative leadership position, I really was able to see someone who was not just impacting education from the classroom, which is critical and, and the most important thing that we do, but he was also working on a state level, at policy levels, and really working with the larger picture of how do you lift up a larger state, uh, in this case, Arkansas. And so I also had a front row seat to someone who was really tackling issues on a, a large scale in a leadership position. I'm sure that both of those had a, an impact on me, but I have to tell you, I, I didn't start out thinking I was going to be an educator. What I knew was that I loved the classroom. I loved being in the classroom. I was always good at being a student. But once I got into college, I realized that I could actually craft a career that could keep me on campus. And that sounded like a whole lot of fun. You know, this was a place that I loved and wanted to, to live for the rest of my life. And so it really was there that the mentoring set in for me. I, that was where I started establishing relationships with people who were in leadership positions in especially colleges of business, but but higher education more broadly, that really started talking with me about careers and, and leadership in education. And I have to say, I'm, I'm a huge fan of mentoring. I think we all need to be doing it and I need to be very proactive about it. I will tell you this, uh, I earlier today at the age of 62, I reached out to three people and said, I need some mentoring. I think it's a lifelong journey that we're on. And what you know at earlier ages doesn't always carry you as you get older. And I'm always, always looking for people who can step out and, and help me answer the questions that I'm, I'm grappling with. And some of those have been formal in terms of people that I was able to work for and observe on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'll be honest, some of it was self-crafted. It was me reaching out to people and saying, I really like what I'm seeing in you. And I would love it if you would sit down and have a cup of coffee with me and talk with me about why you're doing what you're doing. And so absolutely the mentoring piece for me was something that is critical to who I am today. 
You know, I'm so glad that you shared with us that mentoring is a lifelong process and lifelong learning, and that really at any time when it makes sense for us to reach out to someone or to others and seek advice and counsel and how helpful that can be and that our needs over time, you know, really evolve and change. So thank you for sharing that. That was really cool and I think really important for our listeners. You know, one of the things that you and I have connected with over these years has been related to leadership and women in leadership. And I was so excited to share information about Zeta Cooper and that in 2018, we invited you to serve as the keynote speaker for the University of Iowa's College of Pharmacy Zeta Cooper Leadership Symposium. And so um, can you talk to me a little bit about Zeta Cooper and kind of her influence and business and healthcare? And in general, why do you think the world needs more women leaders? Well, this is a topic that I am particularly passionate about, and I almost don't know where to start. But let me let me start with Zeta Cooper. I was so tickled when you asked me to be a part of that and to address leadership issues, and especially with women in the, the pharmacy industry. And it really has set up uh, some collaboration that continues between myself and the College of Pharmacy today. The ironic thing, Melissa, is that I, on a regular basis, stand in front of audiences, whether they're corporate or classrooms or, or women, and I talk with them about how difficult we are still having a time in this country getting women into leadership positions. And, you know, we're sitting here in 2020 and still talking about why aren't more women at the top? Why aren't more women in leadership positions? And then you've got this amazing story about Zeta Cooper, who had a, at a time in this country when she absolutely had no business being in a leadership position. She had to be defying all the odds yep. at that time. And yet, very early on, this was early 1900s, is that right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, she was just out there and making uh, just a huge impact in this particular industry and that she was passionate about. And women like that absolutely are role models just for their courage and just for their willingness to step out of the box at a time when it was almost taboo. For women to be in leadership positions that certainly, certainly wasn't encouraged. So you look at someone like that, that has the strength and fortitude to do it at a time when the culture absolutely didn't support it and flash forward to today and say, wow, why are we still grappling with some of these issues? Yeah, I think that is such an important thing to keep in mind. And I think the more examples that we can have, and you know, you covered that in your keynote presentation. And I think providing mentorship and sponsorship and encouraging, you know, other women can make such a difference. But it's interesting too, we often hear from women that they get discouraged and that, you know, if they fail or if something doesn't work out or say they run for office and then they're not elected, they might not run again. So, you know, what have you learned from challenges or setbacks? And what would you say to people um, that get discouraged or think, you know, I need to get everything right, or I need to just stay on track, or you know, as a lot of women um, struggle with perfectionism. Absolutely, I think that uh, you know, to be sure, some of what we're dealing with in terms of uh, women's frustrations and their inability to to move into the positions that they need, there there is still some cultural baggage out there, and and even some structural baggage about the fact that we don't even have federally mandated uh, paid maternity leave. In this country, there are things that that create barriers to women in the the workplace. To be sure, 
But there are also pieces that, that women ourselves bring to this puzzle and, and bring to the, the question of, of why we're frustrated and, and why we're not getting ahead. And, and what I see over and over in women's leadership audiences that I am addressing, that I'm talking to when the women are talking with me, and also in research, is that part of that frustration, you mentioned the perfectionism, women don't like to fail. Women are much more cautious in the workplace about stepping out, you know, kind of stretching themselves and trying something new. And the the conventional wisdom about this, but this has actually been borne out in research, is that a woman will look at a role that she might be interested in stepping into. And really, unless she feels confident or has already done 80 to 90% of what's required of that role, they'll hold themselves back and say, no, I'm not ready. Whereas a a man will look at that same list of responsibilities and have far, far fewer of the experiences or the specific skills that are needed and are much more willing to put themselves out there and say, yes, I'll try that. I, I think there's some things going on there. Women do have that fear of failure that you mentioned. We are a bit on the perfectionist side. We, we like to be liked. Um, we like to perform very well. And the idea of putting ourselves in a situation where we don't have that comfort, that we know everything, is something that causes women on a regular basis to say, I'm not going to step forward. I'm not willing to do that. In fact, I've even talked to male and female managers who have told me that when they ask a woman to step up and be promoted and move into a larger position or a more responsible position in organizations, a lot of times the women will say, I don't feel comfortable doing that, even as their manager or supervisor is sitting there telling them, I'm, I'm watching you, I'm seeing that you're ready, that you have the skills that you need. And so there, there is this internal voice with women that I don't think occurs in men. I have a theory about that, which I'll maybe share in a minute, that says, be cautious, hold yourself back. Don't don't put yourself out there and, and risk failing. And it really is something that we need to work on. I think we need to work on it with our young women. We need to work on it culturally. Uh, certainly Title IX, getting women into more competitive sports earlier, I think is part of a solution to building that that self-esteem and that sense that, yes, I, I can do that. But I will also say this, men have more testosterone than women do. And testosterone is a risk-taking hormone. And men are just biologically wired to be more willing to jump into situations that seem to be a challenge or, or even maybe dangerous to them than women are. But I, I will tell you that it is just something that... Um, even today, that we have to work on a great deal with our women in graduate programs and MBA programs and pharmacy programs to talk with them about creating this awareness that they're holding themselves back and, and that they're fearing, fearing failure in a way that's keeping them held back. The ultimate lesson, as you know, is that our best learning comes from failure. And that if we're not putting ourselves out there, if we're not having more swings at the bat, as you would say in baseball, and missing some of them, then we're not building the experience that we need. And so we've got to be able to tell our stories to help women understand about the failures that we've not only had, 
but we've survived and we've learned and become stronger so that we can diminish that sense of failure that they they bring sometimes. Yeah, I think those insights are just so important. And, you know, when you were talking about collaboration and doing different things and putting yourself out there, I know one of the things that you focused on in the last several years as uh, is interdisciplinary interaction and bringing groups together that may have worked together or may not. And, you know, we definitely saw that you talked, you touched on this during your Zeta comments, but also with Tippy's efforts with the College of Medicine and also with the College of Pharmacy. So many of our listeners, I think, will have healthcare backgrounds. And so tell me why you think an understanding of business or some intersections with healthcare and business are so important today. Yeah, we see those as just not only tremendous opportunities for us and things that we need to be doing in colleges of business, but uh, honestly, I everyone that goes to work is going to go to work in an organization whether they think it's a, a for-profit business, whether they think about it in that way or not, you know, whether it's a hospital or a pharmacy or a university campus or a government institution, you're going to all be working inside some organization if you're not working for yourself. And so understanding how organizations function and how to set up organizations for success, I think is key regardless of, of what industry you're in. And and I think there's a, a very good argument to be made that because of the changes that are going on in this country around healthcare right now, there's no better time for our medical professionals, our healthcare professionals to also be very good and be very adept at, at organizational success as well. But the, the second piece that we bring to that is the leadership piece, because we're all about in the College of Business really helping people do that self-development, that internal development that will allow you to put yourself, whatever, again, industry, institution, type of organization that you're in, so that you can step up and be in those leadership roles and be able to have a, a compelling influence in those organizations. And I think those two things, working inside organizations and, and, and successful organizations and leadership skills are ubiquitous. I can't think of anyone who doesn't need them. And we're happy to partner with people all over the campus to help bring their students who may be getting a toolkit from a particular area of the world, whether that's engineering, healthcare, education, and marry that with the skills that they need to be successful inside their industries and their institutions. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that is so important that people have that organizational background, the leadership. And, you know, I reflect back to, I had all this clinical knowledge when I completed pharmacy school, but pretty early on in my career, I was supervising people and quite often they were older than me, you know, since I had just graduated. So business, human resources, organizational development. Wow. That's so important. And you definitely learn when you're doing it, the experiential thing, but having, you know, some things in your toolkit, as you mentioned, just makes such a difference. One of the things that I also talk about with in, in all of our leadership, um, Wilson, I know that some that you care deeply about is diversity and the power of diversity in the workplace. Yep. And we're starting to get a lot of really credible research evidence that's very consistent that says the more different kinds of perspectives that you have at the tops of organizations, the better decisions you're going to be, uh, that you're going to make or that you're going to have. And, you know, if you bring people into the organizations that have only business experience, but don't have the healthcare side, they're, they're missing a big piece. If you bring people in 
that have the healthcare expertise, but also allow them to work with and, and be a part of leadership teams with people that are bringing that managerial leadership side. That's where the best solutions are going to come from. And, and anything that creates more homogeneous leadership is, is not going to be helpful in terms of innovation yeah. and in terms of the future. So, you know, diversity at all levels, whether that's working across uh, industries, whether it's working across gender, whether it's ethnicity, perspective, geography, the more we can bring those different perspectives to the foreground when we're making decisions. And in for-profit companies, I will tell you, it leads to increases in profit, in market share, in um, success of new products on the market, all kinds of crazy things like that, that you wouldn't necessarily think about. And so we are huge proponents of really helping people understand that also, regardless of what organization that you're in, your best bet is to not have to be the person with all the answers, but be the person who's willing to work with other people and bring those diverse perspectives to the table. Yeah, I think what you touched on, you know, the diversity of experience, diversity of thought leads to such richness. And I hope for our listeners, they'll also then think through of, you know, how can I myself step out of the box and do something different or be around different people or learn from others? Because as you said, the um, outcomes can just be super strong, whether it be related to, you know, new product development or innovation or um, the bottom line profits and things like that. Yeah, I think there's huge payoff there for organizations. I think personally, there's huge payoff individually for, you know, being willing to put yourself out there and stretch yourself by working with people who aren't like you and being able to bring their different perspectives and and strengths to the table. I I meant to mention this back when we were talking about Zeta Cooper and uh, women versus men in the the workplace. The, The truth of the matter is that men versus women, there's no inherent difference there in terms of who's going to be successful. What's different is they both bring different things to the process. And so it's complementary. And you don't want an organization that's all men or all women, because men have strengths that they bring based on their nature and nurture, and women do as well. And it's the combination of those things that allows you to get that more holistic perspective at the table. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So, you know, we're recording this in 2020, and 2020 has so many exciting things going on. It's a new decade, but as I mentioned in our introduction, it's also a time of transition for you that you're preparing to leave the Tippy College of Business in Iowa City and move to Nashville, Tennessee to assume the role of Dean of the College of Business at Belmont University. So talk to me a little bit about your new opportunity and how this all came about and as you explored this new chapter, next chapter. Well, thanks. I I will tell you, I'm a big advocate of being intentional about your career and and the moves that you're making. And by that, I don't mean that you have to have everything planned out to the nth degree and certainly not, you know, years and decades ahead of time. But I really am an advocate for always looking at who you are, what you've done, and that what's next question. And how do, you, how do you best use your time to, to find the opportunity and experience that's going to allow you to grow and, and just move into a space where you can contribute in a different way? I've loved my time here at the University of Iowa. It has been every day a, a joy for myself and my husband to be here. And I just feel so good about the things that we've been able to do with my team here in the college during that time. 
But at 62, I'm still learning and growing. And the intention for me was what what was missing and what did I want to do in this next chapter for me? And I could have stayed here and done some things always because the work is never done. But there were some very specific challenges around the, the Massey College that I'm I'm very interested in. And what I would say in particular is that you know, Belmont is in Nashville, Tennessee, so it sits in the middle of one of the most lively, economically vibrant cities in the country right now. The rate at which people are moving to Nashville in terms of individuals and corporations is just stunning right now. And yet you've got a, a university there with Belmont that literally sits right in the city, in the in the city limits, and is not taking advantage of that, is not engaging with that growing vibrant business community around them. And so I have the opportunity to go work with some wonderful people there to allow them to create a vision around what Massey's going to look like in 10 years and, and specifically how we build some stronger interactions and partnerships with the industry that surrounds that university. So I'm, I'm very excited about this opportunity. I will tell you on the selfish side, you mentioned that um, I'm from the South and my daughters are there and um, very excited about getting back to the land of, as I call it, grits and biscuits. But more to the point, there's a this is a combination of a professional and personal opportunity for me to just move my life in, into a different place. And so it's scary. It's it's a risk. I'm moving from public to private institutions. I'm moving into a part of the business school industry that I don't know as much about, but I think, you know, taking on new challenges and new risk are what keeps us vibrant. Yeah. You know, I, I really think when you shared that you, you were intentional about the process is really helpful for us to think through, you know, where do I want to move towards? What does that look like? And that it's a little scary is probably good, you know, that oh, yeah. it, it gets you a little fire in your belly, like mm-hmm. what's next mm-hmm. and what that's, what's that going to look like? And boy, you know, Nashville is hot, hot, hot. You know, there's a music scene, there's a foodie scene, extremely strong in healthcare. Um, Yes, exactly. You know, in business. So I I think what you've described and the connection, you know, one of the things that you did so well here in Iowa was connecting within the community, but also connecting the alumni and their ties um, with Tippy, and then back to the university as, you know, they've gone out and grown and, you know, been business leaders and innovators? And then how do you tie that back to, you know, being a Hawkeye? So I know that those kind of things will continue in your new chapter. And I really look forward to, you know, hearing more about that and and seeing what that is. And I also wanted to share with you that when you told me that this change was coming up, I was so happy and excited for you because I could see it in your face, you know, about the new opportunity and also the personal connections to be back in the South and closer to family. But I was bummed too, because, you know, you and I really share a passion on many things related to uh, leadership, our husbands are, you know, our close friends too, and all of that. But I also think that when you want good things to happen for good people, and one of the best things you can do is to continue to encourage others when it's time for them to move on and to grow. And so in our discussion today, I just wanted you to know how I'm um, so happy for you and so excited to hear what's next. And you've taught me, you know, a lot related to that, that being intentional can really kind of help you navigate through some of that. I really appreciate that. And I am 
totally sincere when I tell you that I think our relationship is going to continue. It's going to be different, but I have no doubt that we will continue to find ways to do things together personally and professionally. Yeah, I I agree. And I can't wait to try some of that food in Nashville. And maybe someday I will approach your um, legendary status with your cornbread. Although, you know, we're, we're definitely not there yet. You know, one of the things that you and I have shared over the years is we've gotten to have be engaged about the pillar life. And I think many of our listeners will know about the pillar life, but for those who don't, it's a life guidance system. And it was created by a Tippy alum, Sherry Salata, who is also a past executive producer of the Oprah Winfrey show. And she was president of OWN. And I got to meet her through a Tippy Women's Summit and then got to know her better over the years through some of the activities that, that you've done with her. I thought it was really cool that last fall, Sherry came into Iowa City and did a book signing at Prairie Lights, and you were the moderator for that in conversations. Sherry talked about her book at the time, The Beautiful No, and why don't you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like and any insights you have about the pillar life? Well, first of all, as you know, Sherry is just a wonderful and funny person. Her ability through the book, The The Beautiful No, to put her story out there and to be totally vulnerable about a woman at midlife, warts and all, failures and all, and to pull that together in a way that is is both heartwarming and I think really instructive for women. It's just a gift. And so I think you know this. I highly, highly recommend her book, the the podcast, all those kinds of things. She's been fearless in being someone who is is happy to tell her story, but to also create a conversation with women across this country and especially, you know, women at, at midlife are older and saying, how do we all intentionally wrap our hands around creating the kind of life that we want? Yeah. And I think that's something that you certainly think more about or more or differently, more intensely about as you get older. So, you know, the, the pillars are wonderful, uh, but they kind of lay out the the domain of things that you need to be thinking about to holistically create the life you want. And they are health and wellness, spirituality and happiness, romance and sex, creativity and innovation. That's kind of the, the work career piece, actually. Adventure and discovery, sanctuary and beauty, and then money and abundance. And, you know, there, there are all kinds of other frameworks that will kind of take you in this particular direction. But here you've got this wonderful, strong uh, female leader who is put together some framework around this in a way that I think allows everyone to be intentional in their own way. It is, it is not prescriptive in the sense of here's exactly what your health and wellness should look like, or here's my recipe for career success. It, it is much more open and I think nurturing about how do you find your way how do you create your own recipe around these things and then build the life that you want to have? And so I, I love that it's it's structure, but it's also very compassionate in terms of people bringing their own selves and their own individuality to the process. Yeah, I think you um, touched on, you know, Sherry's openness to tell her story and then encourages others to tell their story. And you know, once you tell your story, it's in the light. And once it's in the light, you know, you can see it and grow from it or change it, 
or you know continue to expand it. So like you, I have learned so much from the process and it's just been kind of a different way of thinking and you know so exuberant and I found their podcast the Sherry and Nancy show it's just funny too and um you know have learned you know quite a bit from it so it's it's been a really interesting neat thing well i love it because it it takes what you and i've been talking about which is very important, but, you know, more focused around one particular pillar, which is what she would call creativity and innovation. You know, what am I going to do with my life? And big, big questions around that, but also plants that in the middle of a, a much larger breadth of things that are really going to lead to the kind of fulfilled, abundant lifestyle that I think we're all looking for. But like I said, I think she's just been fearless and funny and and shine the light on some things that for some people could be points of shame, like, for instance, being overweight and just saying, you know, here, here's my story. Here was my shame. Here was my feelings about that. And just, as you say, bringing them out into the light so we can have conversations and support each other as we're on this path. And I think that's what she and uh, she and Nancy on the podcast really are trying to do is build groups of women who support each other on the journey. And that is my favorite thing in the world to do is to bring women together and allow us to lean on each other and share with each other and, and support each other with our wisdom and experience. Yeah. I think you have been such a great example of doing that, of, of bringing women to, together and convening them. And, you know, I think the other thing that Sherry has, Sherry and Nancy have done, and you know, you and others, when you talk about what's worked, but also what hasn't worked. And I do crack up sometimes when people talk about their health and wellness. And, you know, you, I'm thinking to myself, oh, did, are they always landing it with their diet? And, you know, we just came through the holidays and then you hear, well, no, they ate the Christmas cookies or, you know, they did have <laughs> the, the cheese curds or, or whatever it was. And so I, I think reflecting that it's a process and that, you know, we need to do our best and that we're in charge of, you know, our happiness and where we've put our attention and what that looks like. So really good life lessons there. And I think 2020 is a really exciting time to kind of think through of what that looks like and, and how it happens on a daily basis. Well, you know, those decades, those round numbers yep. are always times, I think, that cause all of us to reflect a little bit harder on where we are and, you know, what the previous decade looked like and, and what the future one looks like as well. And Again, I'm just going to come back to this word of intentionality. I'm kind of driving it into the ground, but I just think it's so important for women to create the lives that, that they need and the lives that they want and to be proactive about that and giving women the tools through leadership development and, and through our support groups and our book clubs and all those kinds of things are really just golden opportunities for us to raise everybody up. And in the process of doing that, we, of course, will we'll raise ourselves as well. But, well, she says, Sherry says in the book, love yourself, love others. And you have to do both. And in order to be successful loving other people, you've got to be able to love yourself first. And the whole, you know, put the mask on yourself when the airplane's going down Make sure you're getting oxygen or you're not going to be get any good helping other people. And I think that lesson is just so powerful. Yeah, that's a really important one to remember. So while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson that you'd like to share with others? 
or talk about a little bit in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? Yeah. So I guess what, what I would share is um, it's a little bit about this ongoing debate we have about work-life balance. And I actually don't even like to use those terms. I like to talk about work-life management because balance implies that there's some Zen state that you can get yourself in where everything is exactly how it needs to be. And you're sitting on that seesaw and everything is in exact alignment and you're at peace and content. And I think it's an unfortunate word because I think it sets women up to feel like they're failures. And, you know, I've talked about how we already do that to ourselves anyway, because the truth of the matter is if you're on that seesaw over time, as you're going up and down and up and down from side to side, Oh, on overall, on average, you're balanced. But on any given day, you may be leaning into one side, which may be your work or your profession more than the other. And so how do you manage that so that over time you get where you need to be? So when I talk about work-life management, I also talk about thinking in terms of the long run. Yeah. Because in the short run, on any particular day, can we all be in balance? No. Can anyone even be in balance? Maybe. But over time, if you think about things over the long run, then that balance is something that's much easier to manage because you will realize that there are days, maybe even weeks, maybe even months where you've got to lean into one side versus the other, but that will balance out over time. And eventually you'll, you'll have the, the life that you want. But every day, can you have everything you ever wanted? I, I just think that sets the the bar so high. And I'll I'll give an example of that. When the time came that my husband and I decided to have a family and we've got two wonderful girls, I made a conscious decision to not stop working, but to rein in some of the things in my life that would have kept me on a plane a lot. That was a conscious decision to uh, step away from Leadership roles that I could have, would have had at a national level with associations and those kinds of things that are very important. And I just had to know in my head at the time, I'm going to pull back from those now, but there will come a time when I can and will be much better able to move into those. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. And so I didn't have to decide between the professional work I wanted to do and my children. What I had to decide was when and pace myself and stage myself over years and and even over decades to know that if you look at the long run, you can have it all. You just can't have it all every single day. And so think about that, that management over longer periods of time. And I think it really takes some pressure off of women to be successful at everything in every moment. It's just not possible. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that insight. I think the perspective of seasons of life or what you're experiencing right now might not be your forever is really, really important. And I also think treating yourself with a little bit of grace oh, yeah. and you, t- you shared this too, that it's okay. Like whatever it is, is okay. And you're just going to keep working through it and it will continue to be okay. And that's, you know, that's something to keep in mind. Well, I really appreciate, you know, your time today and I look forward to visiting you in Nashville. I think that's going to be super fun. This is the Melissa RX Scripts podcast 
And to everyone listening, please subscribe to our show and follow me, Melissa Muir Corrigan, on social media. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.